My friend Mike asked me over a year ago if I had something on expectations. I had something in the muse chamber, but I hadn't banged it out on my computer yet, and so now I'm getting around to it. A little bit of lag time here. But I'm curious about your expectations. We all have expectations, and that is a godly thing. Sometimes our expectations can, well, they can begin to manage us. And so let me start the podcast by asking this question, what do you expect from life? If you're like me, you have many expectations, and some of them have not come to pass or have not come to pass Yet, to have expectations is to be Christ-like. Christ expected many things while he was on earth. To have your expectations managing you is not like Christ. And so to have expectations is fantastic. I hope you have a lot of them, and I hope you keep adding to your list. As I've said in another place at another time, I hope you die with uh, 1,000 unfulfilled dreams. I'm always thinking, planning, strategizing, dreaming, imagining, expecting. Well, that is a good thing. You are a creator. You're made in the image of the creator, and so having expectations is perfectly normal. Of course, those expectations can turn on us, and they can begin to manage our thoughts and our lives, and it can corrupt our souls as well as our relationships. And so to have expectations is to be Christ-like. To have your expectations managing you is not like Christ. And so your attitude about God, self, others, and life will reveal how you think about your expectations. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I'm Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. The title of this podcast is, What Are Your Expectations and How Do They Manage You? I want to take a little tour of expectations. I'm going to talk about several of them from a Christocentric perspective, and I trust that this will be beneficial for you. If you would like to read what I'm sharing with you, well, I am reading it right now. It is the article on our website, What Are Your Expectations and How Do They Manage You? Just type the word expectations in the search box, and I promise you it will come up. You can read it. You can print it off. You can share it with a friend. You can take it to your small group, take it to your coffee shop to share with your friend and just have a wonderful discussion about this. This is something that's common to all of us. We all have expectations. And so I, I want to I want to start by giving a little uh, autobiographical uh, snapshot of expectations. I remember when I first came to Christ, <laughs> I thought I would never sin again. Now there's an expectation for you. And I was surprised. I mean, I was surprised the very next day after the Lord regenerated me, and it got worse from there. I can still visually see myself standing in my disappointment in a machine shop thinking, what in the world are you doing? I was lusting after this girl that worked in the office, and I thought that after I come to Christ, came to Christ that well, things like that would go away. I was surprised. My expectation, what I thought was be, becoming a Christian, 
Well, it, my expectation and what being a Christian really is, well, they aren't the same. I assumed that there was a path laid before me that would not have all the twists and turns that my Christian life has had. I mean, honestly, I understand why someone would say, I tried Christianity and it did not work for me. Now, that is a complicated statement, and you really do have to unpack it and get inside of the person and what they are saying and try to help them to see with a little more clarity. But just on the surface and in a vacuum, I understand why someone would say, I tried Christianity and it did not work for me because... Well, we come into our Christian experience with expectations, as I did within 24 hours. My One of my expectations was, uh, was dashed. I thought I was going to be sinless from that point forward, that point from regeneration. And so every Christian has to work at aligning their expectations with the life that God gives them. Now, for some of us, we have to chuck a few notions that won't fit inside God's narrative for our lives. God was scripting a narrative for me. I had my expectations, and I was shoving them, trying to fit them inside of uh, the author, uh, the author's story that he was writing. And, and the more that you try to bend your preferences into his script for you, the more frustrated you become. It's like the child demanding the parent give them what they want. That is not how Christianity works. God has a plan for you, and it is a good one, though it would not be the one you would write for yourself. Go back to my parent-child analogy just for a moment. It is the careless and unloving parent that would give the child the pen and say, you can have your life the way you want it. Start writing Now, perhaps you can query yourself at this point. What have you expected, and in what ways do you need to adjust those expectations? I trust these few thoughts that I'm going to share with you will help you in the ongoing realignment to the Lord's plans for you. And by the way, I am in that ongoing realignment as well. Just because I'm old now and I've learned two or three things about Christianity, it doesn't mean that the path before me is, is clear and, and I'm, it's just going to be dreamy from this point forward. That is not how Christianity works from beginning to end. Now, expectations are typical for any human, and I want to share with you just a few expectations that that you should have, and again, you need to get your mind around these that I'm going to share with you, because God encourages us to have them, and what I mean is the Bible is clear. For example, that he will give you the desires of your heart, right? You've heard that before. Another example, I mean, the Lord wants you to know there is a gospel, That will transform your life. And so when you hear the good news the first time, you should have this elevated expectation that there is transformation in front of me in my future. Hope and faith are pregnant with expectations. He even presents heaven as a place full of eternal delight. 
To have expectations is at the heart of being a Christian. But the problem with prospering Christians is the competing worldviews that influence our expectations. For those of you who live in a first world country, as I do, I, I live in the States, and America is the land of plenty, as we like to say, a place where most people realize their dreams you, you can be all that you want to be in a first world country like America. And I'm thankful for God's blessing in our country, but I'm well aware that God's favor can turn into temptations for our most dominant desires because there is competition. And, and I want you, here's one of the expectations I want you to have. I want you to expect competition for your soul. That is an expectation. That is a biblical one. And there is competition. And if you live in a first world country, in fact, it doesn't matter where you live. I'm just using the first world country illustration. But wherever you live, there will be competing worldviews that will be vying to take control of your take control of your soul. In America, we are an individualistic, ladder-climbing, opportunity-seeking people where prosperity, hedonism, and narcissism blend to give any person a preferred lifestyle that is second to none. It is impossible to be a Christian in America and escape the influence of the American way. And if you don't have the expectation that there is competition for your soul, well, you can fall asleep at the will. And if you're not careful, the hedonistic, narcissistic, prosperity-type temptations can overcome you. Here's another expectation, in addition to competition for your soul, is the expectation to suffer. Now, this is one that it, it wasn't on my list after God regenerated me. And because of these competing worldviews that I was just talking about and the power of temptation, Every Christian has to have a clear understanding and practice of suffering. I mean, the very fact that there are competing worldviews that are trying to take over our soul, one is God-centered and, and the other is satanic. And because of that, you're going to be walking counter to the culture. That means you need to expect to suffer. Typically in our evangelistic efforts, we forget to reveal the secret handshake that all Christians know intuitively. It sounds something like this. Let's just imagine for a moment that you're evangelizing, you're witnessing to someone. Maybe you want to start your evangelistic efforts like this. Hello, friend. Do you want to suffer? Are you interested in conflict? What do you think about walking counter to our culture? Any interest in folks misunderstanding, rejecting, ridiculing, and slandering you? If this is something that does not frighten you away, would you like to become a Christian? Before you decide, I want you to read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now, I imagine that Virtually no one has used that as part of their evangelistic approach, and maybe we should consider it. Remember what I was saying earlier? 24 hours after God regenerated me, I was suffering. There was a competing—there were now two worldviews. There was a God-centered worldview and a satanic-centered one, and they were vying for my soul. Before that, there was only one worldview, and it was the world's. It was the culture, and I had totally imbibed in it. 
And then God came and regenerated me, and now there was competition. And, of course, suffering soon came after, and I, had, I was clueless about this. And so from this evangelistic introduction, you can now walk them through the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews. Let them read or read with them Hebrews chapter 11. You know those stories very well. And they will read about some of God's choicest servants losing their lives for the furtherance of the gospel. Whenever we talk about expectations, the wise person starts from a bibliocentric worldview, and suffering must be part of the discussion. If you don't, I'm not talking about being fatalistic here. When I say if you don't expect suffering, well, then you are going to be in for a surprise, and it can derail you, and you may be one of those people that does say, I tried Christianity, and, well, it just wasn't for me. And so as far as expectations are concerned, you can expect competition for your soul. Be ready, be vigilant. You can expect to suffer. That is the way of Christ. And you can also expect to serve. Once you distinguish the competing worldviews for your soul, Christian, and culture, and expect that your life is one of suffering, your next expectation is to be a servant. You see, the force of the gospel points away from the believer and toward other people. The inherent quality of the gospel is is others-centered. The gospel is more about what the gospel is more about what I can do for you than what you can do for me, which is the ultimate antithetical to our culture message. Jesus came to save us and envision us to be like him. He is the suffering servant. Expect to suffer. Expect to serve others. Our highest aim is to imitate him, which you will do in proportion to your theology of suffering coupled with your other-centered serving attitude. As you see, Christian expectations run counter to how others will talk about what they expect. I doubt being countercultural, embracing suffering, and seeking to serve others would be the first thing out of the average person's mouth. What about you? I led this podcast by talking about expectations. What are some of your expectations? Did any of you list these three being countercultural, embracing suffering, seeking to serve. These are three Christocentric expectations. What comes out of your mouth when you think about your expectations? My initial three point list here is not exhaustive, these three things that I've been talking about. That's not the entire list of things that we should expect. But if you don't have biblical expectations, you can be a Christian, but not one with the distinctive of Christ. Let's talk about failed expectations. That's something that you can expect as well. A lot of counseling is for folks who have experienced failed expectations expectations. They expected a particular kind of life, and it had not come to fruition. Now, I am not haranguing these disillusioned folks. They're just like me. 
I didn't go to counseling when I went through my traumatic season because, well, I was a I was a fundamentalist, a fundamental Baptist to be specifically, and we didn't believe in counseling. We just preached louder, just elevate the decibel level, and we just preached the devil out of each other, and so there wasn't really a thing called counseling. So I didn't go to counseling. But I did have failed expectations, and if I knew about counseling and if that were a thing in my life, I would have gone to counseling because of failed expectations. I expected what Christianity was going to do for me, and what I hoped for and what I got, (laughs) those were two different things. They were a million miles from each other. Failed expectations are part of every believer's experience. You have to situate your mind on this idea. When you're thinking about expectations, I was talking about uh, the culture and and the Christian uh, worldview competing. I talked about suffering. I talked about serving. Now I'm talking about failed expectations. Sometimes in all of our dreaming about how we want things to be, we don't input culture, suffering, and serving into those dreams. And it's not that your expectations have to be wrong, but if you don't push them through the right filter, you're more than likely you're going to land on the pile of the disillusion like where I was. This possibility is what made Christ so different. Think about it. All of his friends fell away from him at the very moment when he needed them most. I mean, thinking about having expectations for your friendships. You have friendships. You have relationships. You, you Maybe in, even in your own marriage or your own family, your own children, maybe even own, your own parents. You expect them to uh, stick with you through thick and thin Christ had those expectations for his friends. He even chided them in the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, because they couldn't stay awake for just a little while, and then a little bit later, well, they all just they all just hot footed out of there because they didn't want to be a part of of what he was doing. And so, the brilliance of his worldview is that his expectations were subservient to his highest one. Ironically, it was his friend's failures that pushed him further into his father, his highest hope, his highest expectation. Jesus knew that no matter what happened to him, he would be okay. It's one of the ways that you can examine yourself about your failed expectations. Do your failed expectations, when your friends forsake you, which is the illustration that I'm using here about Christ, when your expectations go kaput? Do they push you further into God? Well, they will if he is a higher expectation. As your soul settles into the reality and the reward of the expectations mentioned thus far, culture, suffering, serving, you're ready to think about a few more that will transform your soul. All of these expectations that I've mentioned will transform your soul but what about a different kind of, of expectation that just feels a little more warm and fuzzy and, and feels a little more rewarding? Let's talk about marriage expectations. Every couple that ever tied the knot brought dreamy expectations in their, into their covenant. I'm not aware of a person who wanted to get married to suffer or, 
or just to have a horrible relationship. No, that's not how how we think. When we tie the knot, we have these these expectations about a life uh, that's going to be how do they say that happily ever after. It's some version of that. Well, Paul helps us with this idea about expectations in the marriage. In fact, you can read one snapshot in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. It says this. I mean, you know it. I know you know it, but I just want to say it anyway for the sake of the podcast because I, I do want to point out something here that is significant. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's verse 25. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's verse 26. It's still one sentence. And then in verse 27, he's finishing up the sentence, so that he, Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so what we have here in verse 25, husbands love your wives, Christ love the church. Verse 26, sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word. Verse 27, so that you can present to yourself a church in all her splendor. So Paul talks about otherworldly expectations that you can have in your present-day marriage. He connects the marriage to Christ and his church, as you just heard and as you know. And then he launches into how a husband can enjoy an amazing life with his wife. In Ephesians 5.27, he says, as I read, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's the reward. That's the warm and fuzzy. That is the blessing. Verse 27, there's coming a day when Christ will receive a fantastic church. How will that happen? Or to the marriage, how can a husband enjoy such a cherished expectation? And this is where you want to be careful. You want to make sure that you don't uh, disjoint these passages and read them in isolation. As I said, they're all one sentence. They're not three sentences. It is one sentence, and so you want to contextualize the entire sentence. And so how can you have verse 27 a beautiful church that you can present to yourself in all her splendor? Well, the answer is in the first two verses, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Do you hear the work involved? Not just work, but the dying. There is work and death involved in verses 25 and 26. So if you have an expectation that you're going to get this beautiful bride, verse 27, in all her splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, if you want verse 27, you have to go back to the start of the sentence. And so here's what you can expect in a wonderful marriage. If you die for your wife while helping her in her sanctification, you can expect to present to yourself a beautiful treasure. The key is not to skip verses 25 and 26 while expecting her to be that amazing, wonderful bride that we see in verse 27. The expectation is that if you die for her, there is a reward coming your way. And so you can realize beautiful expectations that you thought about at the altar the day that you married her. You can realize your dreams come true 
but you need to make sure that you read the whole sentence and not just the back end of the sentence that talks about this lovely treasure that you're going to receive. You die, you work, you wash, you sanctify, you come alongside, you serve. And if you do that, well, you can you can have a realized expectation. And then I can hear the retort now. I've done those things for my wife, but she continues to be a nag. And we do get those emails. We do get those folks on the forum and and I'm I I don't argue, I'm not arguing. I'm not I'm not arguing this because all of us feel some version of this kind of complaint. Parents struggle this way regularly. They pour their lives into their children only to see them walk away from the faith. They could say what the complaining husband says here. I've done all of those things for my wife, but she continues to be a nag. And, I've, and many parents have said some version of that. We have poured our lives into our child or our children, and, and they walk away from the faith. You have two choices here. You can manage your expectations, or they will manage you. Jesus, again, is our prototype for your disappointments. He came to our little world to save us. His friends forsook him, and we, you and me, we were no better than his ragtag friends. Rather than him placing expectations on us to meet his hopes, he chose a different course. He pressed on toward the cross, entrusting himself to his highest expectation which was God the Father. And you see this also talked about in 1 Peter chapter 2, specifically verses 24 and 25. And rather than those who refused to follow him, he chose to yield to his heavenly Father. Many of us do need to reevaluate why we became Christians in the first place. We committed our lives to God because he was our highest expectation. It was genuine. It was sincere. It was authentic. No matter what happened with our lives, we expected God to take care of us. And this expectation did not come with a footnote that he would also give us everything that we want. You have to be able to manage your expectations. Without a robust theology of suffering, we will set ourselves up for patterns of bitterness, anger, disappointment, frustration, criticism, blaming, and much more. We must be on constant vigilance by taking our souls to task regarding our worldview of expectations as they compete against a God-centered worldview of expectations. And this mandate does not mean we should not expect preferred temporal things from the Lord. God is a generous God. But our expectations cannot have the accent mark on earthly desires. God is not a cosmic genie that we summon to meet our most cherished earthly aspirations. Now, you can test where you have placed your accent mark. Is God your highest expectation that you're pushing yourself further into him, especially in times of disappointment? Or are there other things that rank higher than him, the things that control your thoughts? The Job test will reveal a lot about your wants and desires. Do your most controlling thoughts during your disappointments say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Job test, blessed be the name of the Lord, is Job chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. 
too. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you come out of whatever your expectations were, and especially if they did not meet what you expected, then you take the Job test. And if you come out saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, you're in a good place. Now, Job had his problems, and I understand that, but he did get this part right. Whatever you want to say about him, he got this part right. He had a balanced perspective on how God's kindness, about God's kindness to him. Recently, I told a gentleman that it could be God's kindness to bring his adultery into the open. Initially, he did not see it this way. From his perspective and his wife's, his exposure was the worst kind of news. He did not want anyone to find out, and she did not want to go through the subsequent pain. I don't know anybody in the world that would want to do that. And so I understood their hesitation about embracing what I was saying to him, because I, I do understand their perspectives. But I want you to think about this. They have been married for a long time, and their marriage has been full of disappointments, bumpity bump, over and over again. And there was little hope that things were going to turn around. Neither one of them was God-centered it was God's mercy to implode their marriage, and from that traumatic point, they started working on things that went unattended for many years. God is a jealous God. He will not let his children worship at the altar of idols forever. There are times when he will insert himself into our lives to bring correction, which can be painful, but for our good. Today, they are getting their expectations they're getting God-centered ones, and they are thankful for his tender mercies. Sometimes the path to our expectations has to take a route that we would never map for ourselves. The title of the podcast is, What Are Your Expectations and Do They Manage You? I went on a brief tour through some expectations, and I trust that this has been beneficial for you. As always, if you want to talk to us, jump on our free community forum. If you're a supporting member, go to the private forum and talk over there. I also have a call to action at the bottom of this article. You're welcome to read the few questions that I have listed here. You will benefit benefit from them. Let us know how we can serve you. I'm so grateful for the privilege. Thank you for those who support our ministry that make this happen.